All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Second Samuel chapter 5. As we continue our study on the life of David, part 2, I do want to make a quick announcement uh, for any women, ladies, if you guys would like to be part of the women's Bible study, they do meet via Zoom every Friday at 5 p.m. So if you'd like to tune in with that, go ahead and uh, send a message, uh, get a hold of myself or Ashley Macias, and uh, we, will, we would love to have you guys join us. Girls, join us. <clears throat> now, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we've been continuing this study of the life of David. I titled my study, A King Rises. Because finally, after so many long years, we're not quite sure the exact amount, but maybe it was close to seven that some scholars believe. It was for a long period of time that David was on the run from King Saul in the wilderness, learning how to rough it and tough it out there with his 400 gnarly men, which turned into 600, and learning how to fight his battles on his knees, learning how to trust in the Lord in every battle that he took of asking God, God, where should I go to fight? Should I go to fight? David was a man who sought after God's will in his life. And David finally, after all these long years of being chased by King Saul, is now being elevated by the Lord to this place of taking the throne of Israel. King Saul was killed in battle. And there has been a skirmish for the throne for, for some years. And David was anointed to be king over the tribe of Judah. But by the Lord's, by the Lord's sovereign hand, the other tribes of Israel now are following after David. You guys remember the battles between Asahel and, uh, and Joab and how Joab was able to fight for David, for the Lord. And now all these tribes now are following after David. So we are beginning a part in David's life when he becomes successful. Now for Christians, for believers, actually for a lot of, even in the secular world, there's a danger that happens when you are constantly surrounded by success. And there's a danger that you can become lax. For Christians, there's a, a danger that we can become lax in our walk. Think about it. The, the church right now, something I, I personally have seen, and you perhaps have noticed this too, that many Christians in this time of, of pandemic have been set on fire for the Lord. They're reaching out via the internet, uh, calling each other up. And they're sharing the Lord with one another, sharing the Lord with, with people. And the reason being is because there's a ginormous trial that's going on in this world, this pandemic. And we see throughout history that under times of trial, the church actually prospers. And in times of success, when there were no wars, a lot of times, believers begin to have that idle time where they were spending it uh, 
with their vices and in sin rather than focused on the Lord. So let's begin now with, with verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 5 from the New King James Version. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So in these verses, David goes in a transition from the shepherd who uh, was taking care of his father's sheep to then being the soldier in Saul's army to now being a king over all of Israel. This process is, is maybe in his mind now being complete. Or perhaps he knew that God still was going to allow him to go through many battles that were coming ahead. That God himself had told him, as it reads in verse 2, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. That word for shepherd, in the Hebrew translation, it literally means to feed. I find that interesting that to shepherd, it, it means to give food, to take care, to tend after. And I'm reminded of Jesus's words to Peter. Perhaps you remember that during Jesus's trial, before he was crucified, Peter followed after Jesus from a distance because he was afraid for his own life. And then Peter, when questioned by the enemy's fire, he was questioned by a little girl and by a few other people. Hey, aren't you friends with this Galilean? Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter constantly said, no. Three times he denied the Lord. He said, far be it. It's not who I'm with. I don't know the man. Even cursing while doing so. And then at that moment, Jesus came by and they stared at each other face to face. And Peter realized that he betrayed his Lord Jesus Christ, who warned him. And Peter wept bitterly like no man has ever wept. And then Peter, in this broken state, after three days when Jesus rose from the grave, revealed himself to Peter, he then later on takes Peter aside as he has his resurrected body. And he tells Peter, Peter, I want you to know this. Do you love me more than these? And perhaps he was pointing to the fishnets or, or the disciples. And Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus tells Peter, feed my lambs. 
And then Jesus a second time asks Peter, he says, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And he tells him again, tend my sheep. With that same meaning of caring for, of loving, of of giving people that nutrient, that food. He's speaking spiritually. And the third time, again, Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter becomes so grieved because he asks him the question three times, perhaps being reminded of the three times that he betrayed his Lord Jesus. And the third time when Jesus asks him, do you love me? Peter again says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus is taking Peter in his brokenness and saying, look, Peter, I know. I've forgiven you. I know you messed up. And I love you. I want you to lead my people, to take them and to feed them the word. And he is restoring Peter back into the place of a shepherd. And that's what David had. He was supposed to lead the people of Israel in godliness, to shepherd after them, to care for them. This is an encouragement for leaders to give people the word, to care for, to tend after them, to protect them from the enemy, to pray for them, to love them. And it's one that must be taken seriously and with joy. So now as David is king over the Israelites, He's being anointed here in these verses for a third time. Now, I want us to understand this about the anointing. It simply means to be set aside for a specific task. Remember, first Samuel came and anointed David. He poured the oil over his head. And then again, after King Saul was killed, They took David and they again anointed him to be king over Judah. And now this third time, he is being anointed to be king over all of Israel. Now, there's something about this anointing that we recognize in this Bible, but also in ministry today, that God anoints David, that God anoints the man And then people recognize that anointing. You see, man recognizes the anointing, but God is the one who anoints. Man doesn't anoint man, but God gives the initial anointing that set aside that task. God calls the man. God calls leaders. He anoints men and women to lead with righteousness. Continuing on in verse six, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. Thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. 
Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Uh, perhaps you see uh, in verse 10 where I, why I chose that song, Lord of hosts, Psalm 46. And it's a common theme in the life of David that God was with him. It was God who was giving him the victory. It was God who gave him the victory over the stronghold of Zion, which then was named the city of David and is still the city of David to this day. I was blessed when I got to go to Israel that my, my tour guide was actually named David and he, he stood in front of uh, this, this wall. This, it said the city of David and he said, welcome to my city. And everyone was like laughing because it's cool to see how God had an anointing on this man, David. And to be there in real life where David fought these battles and see the land that God was allowing David to conquer. That's awesome. Now in verse eight, David was asking his men, hey, why don't you guys climb up this way of the water shaft and defeat the Jebusites through this way? And it said that he hated the lame and the blind. Now, let me again remind you that in verse six, the Jebusites taunted David. They said, oh, look at even our lame and our blind. They're gonna be able to defeat you. And so David hated this taunting seep into his life. Now that he is becoming this king of success, pride will take a hold of David. And we will learn about what pride does in David's life later on in 2 Samuel. Now, as uh, David is fighting these battles and winning, I'm reminded that God preserves his chosen, the Israelites. The Israelites are God's special people to be a representation of Jehovah God to the entire world. Now, I have to admit that the Bible shows a lot of their failures and that they have turned away from Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But God still is not done with them. So because of that, God is still preserving them to this day, you could look up the history of the Israelites. I mean, the biggest one we know is World War II, the, the Holocaust, that the Jews survived this. But there's hiked to the Golan Heights tank. And wisely, in order to, to scare the enemy, Zvika began to drive from one top of a hill and shoot at the enemy. And then he would drive down and drive to the other side of another hill and shoot down at the enemy. And he was doing this so fast and so speedily, so cleverly, that he was tricking the enemy into thinking that they were actually facing opponents of a vast number. 
And he was even scared to go on the radio to tell his commanders what was happening because he did, was scared that the enemy might hear that he, him and his crew were the only ones out there. And he kept shooting down so much that the enemy stopped their approach into Israel. And he held them off until backup came. And he fought after 20 long hours and finally came out of his vehicle and collapsed. He murmured, I, I can't go anymore. And he was one of only eight people in Israel who fought in the war, who was awarded the Medal of Valor. This was the nation's highest medal of heroism. And to me, when I look at that, I see, wow, God gave Israel the victory when they were vastly outnumbered. So many times you can look at these miracles that took place in the Israelites' life and God preserves them still. So we know that God is not done with his children and we know that God is faithful to our conviction. God should. The culture should never determine our conviction. The word of God should. We need to stay in that line of the Lord's will. Not go to the left, not go to the right. I know I give the illustration all the time, but sometimes when I'm out there surfing, it's like the surroundings around me, I don't even realize that I'm drifting because the culture of what I'm surrounded by looks all the same and I'm part of it. And sometimes you're out there in the world, you're working with your coworkers, your friend, you're there with your friends, your family members who are worldly and you don't realize that you're just part of their world and that you slowly are drifting away from that spot. You're slowly drifting away from that place where you're in the perfect will of the Lord, where you're losing that relationship. I would encourage us to then look for truth. Look for what does the word of God say? What does God say about this situation in my life? In verse 17, now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel. All the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, and go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me, like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of the place, said, You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly for the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David said, as the Lord commanded him, and David did as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines 
from Geba as far as Gezer. Now, what I love about David, he's a man who always sought after the Lord's will. He prayed twice already in this chapter of if he should go up to fight against the Philistines. And the first time, God is like, yes, go up and fight against the Philistines. I'm going to give them into your hand. And what I love about David is that he didn't let his battle knowledge lead him at that point. He didn't say, okay, well, this is how we won last time, how we fought last time. So let's go do the same thing without first consulting the Lord. You see, he didn't get stuck in the method, but he let the Lord lead him. You see, I love how God gave David this direct answer as David asked this direct question. But God said, look, but we're going to change things this time. And perhaps God's telling you that you're about to enter into a season of change. Look, you can't go up the same way that you went. I need you to go around this way, a different way. When God tells us to do that, we need to be obedient and listen. We need to not think that victory is ours because we've seen it done the X, Y, and Z this way. But we need to remember that God is sovereign and that sometimes God doesn't want you to do the obvious, but he wants you to follow his will. In chapter 6, it says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between error, falling. Now, keep in mind, God gave the Israelites specific instructions on how they were to move the Ark of the Covenant. It was, it was to be carried on two poles by men. It was not to be placed on a cart carried by oxen, the way the Philistines did it. So here there, there's a double failure in the way that David had allowed this Ark to be transported. And secondly, no man was to touch the Ark. So when Uzzah put out his hand, God in his righteousness, he smote him. And then in verse 8, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So David was upset. He didn't understand but perhaps this then began to cause David to look at his actions because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom 
to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Let me pause right here. So notice David is distraught. He's first upset because Uzzah died. So he takes the ark and just puts it in this man's house, Obed-Edom. He says, just leave it there. I don't want to have anything to do with it. As David is in this state of bitterness, and sometimes that's us. Sometimes that's how we get when we are chastened by the Lord. We get upset. We get angry. And we're like, God, why? Why? How come you can't let things just go my way? And that's our selfish way. That's when we need to die to ourselves and repent and say, okay, God, you know what? I'm going to do it your way. I remember as I think of David, how he's a man after God's own heart, that he still, even in his failure, desired to please the Lord. So we see David as a man of repentance. And the lesson for us is when you do what you're supposed to do the wrong way, it's still the wrong way. When you do the right thing in a wrong way, it's still wrong. We can't get money to provide for our family in the wrong way. We can't uh, help people with sin in our lives or using sin to help people. I believe it was Paul who said, uh, shall we use evil for good? Shall we lie in order to further the gospel? He asked. And he said, no, we should not. You see, David originally, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David, which was the right thing. But he didn't care for holiness. He allowed even what the Philistines did to be an example for him of carrying it on oxen. May the world never be an example for us. Uh, I say that with, in the sense of using ungodly techniques to further your own selfish motives. Now, something I see, and I've seen this uh, amongst churches that are taking on this either prosperity doctrine or self-promotion, where they begin to implement these ideas from the world into ministry where people began to think, well, look, it's just five easy steps to start a successful church, or it's just seven ways to have financial gain in your church. And you know what? I, I would caution that person to be like the Holy Spirit and on the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, for the world, 
they don't understand that. They don't understand what, what that is like to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us to do things that don't make any worldly sense. But still, we trust in the Lord. And sometimes the way that the Lord sees success in our lives, the world looks at it as failure. Think of Jesus. His life. 30 years of waiting to ever start ministry. And then once he began his earthly ministry, it only lasted about three years. And then they crucified him. Maybe to the world, he failed at what he was trying to accomplish. But to those who believe, those who know him personally as their Lord and Savior, know that it was the complete victory and success over his kingdom, over our lives. And that's what we have when we're a believer. We have that victory over the the trials that come our way. We have that victory over the pursuits that we are seeking after because God gives it to us. So may we never prescribe to the way that the world is thinking towards the Lord. In verse 16. One thing I learned in Ephod. So now David is seriously taking this procession with holiness where they're like, okay, six paces, sacrifice. Six paces, sacrifice. To ensure that every step of the way they were allowing God to lead them. And then in verse 16. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house." Uh, notice how David's blessing his people. He is uh, feeding them exactly what God told him to do. He's doing not only in a spiritual way, but now he started with the spiritual by bringing the ark back in a holy way. But now he's doing it in a literal way where he's being hospitable to his people, to his nation. May we have that same mentality where we don't only care, not only for, and then in verse 20, Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Wow, 
that's something to come home to, right? After you just finished worshiping the Lord in this great ceremony, your wife's like, oh, you thought you were cool today. <laughs> now in verse 21, David replies, he says, so David said to me, call, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Ooh. You see, Michal had a little sass towards David, and David never gave her any children after that. And it, it's a word, I, I believe, though, is David said, you know what? If the Lord sees me as being holy, and to the world I look crazy, to you I look crazy, so be it. I'll be even more undignified, he said. And he wanted to give God the glory. He was a radical. May we be bold like David and worship before him. May we be bold like David and seem crazy and humble and meek despite what the world thinks. So I would encourage you listeners to continue to be crazy for Jesus, to be on fire for the Lord, to be, have your mind and your heart set on completing his perfect will in your life, that he may give you the victory, knowing that he is with you, he never leaves you, he never forsakes you, that he has plans of good towards you, plans, plans to give you peace and of good hope. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, Lord God, just another awesome portion of scripture, Lord God. In your word, Lord, I pray and I ask, Father, if there's anyone, Lord, who needs to die to themselves, if there's anyone who is uh, debating, Lord God, about a decision in their life, and they see now that the choice is obvious of what is, Lord God, of you and what is not. I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower them to have joy in choosing you. Lord God, I pray that you would continue to give us a heart that seeks after your perfect will. To trust you, Lord God. To trust that you're going to take us, Lord God, to the place that you've called us to that there's nothing too hard for you. And that once you've begun this good work in us, Lord God, you are faithful to complete it. We love you, Father. You're worthy to be praised. You are holy. You are healer. You are the author and finisher of our faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's end with a song.
the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. I'll love you forever, I'll stand Nothing compares to the promise I have in you wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have. Nothing compares to the promise I have. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. In Jesus' name blessed. We love you guys. We'll see you Sunday morning. If you haven't got a chance yet, check out our latest podcast. It was cool with uh, Mike and Nick and myself. But we love you guys. We're praying for you. And it's in Jesus' name we say,